And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and thanks for listening to the show today. We appreciate you tuning in. I hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We'll be on till 10 o'clock here uh, with We Are Just Christians. It's a live call-in show. Lord willing. Lord willing, we'll be here <laughs> till 10. We always have to say that. That's true. But we'll be here. That's the plan. And we'd like to in, invite you to participate in the show. It's a live call-in show. And so I'll give you the num- numbers in just a moment. You can get a pencil or write them down if you don't know them already. But uh, we'd be glad to have your participation. This show is about being just a Christian. It's about going back to the New Testament itself and not to tradition and other things to find out how we ought to act and live and be Christians individually and as a church. So that's the premise. That's what we do here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. That's our the premise. We're not hooked into any other denomination or other traditions and creeds. We're simply Christians reading the Bible by itself in a plain reading of it, trying to follow that as simply and plainly as we can. We believe that's a way to unity. If all of us could agree to do that, we can have some hope at unity in Christ. But without that, uh, we have no hope of unity at all. So let me give you the numbers, and you can talk to us. I don't just about religious things, and we don't, we'd love for you to call if you're an unbeliever and talk to us about the premises of our show and our belief. We'd be glad to hear what you have to say, both positive and negative, about churches and Christians and other issues. Bring up any issue you'd like. We'd be glad to talk with you about that, and our promise to you is we're going to going to do our best to give you an answer from the Bible that you can look up and then think about that for yourself and decide based on what the word says that what you ought to do. So we're going to try to give you scriptures, not some of our traditional, some tradition or something like that. If we have to give you an opinion on something or a judgment, we'll tell you what we'll tell you what that is and you can make up your mind about that. Well, let me give you the numbers real quick and then we'll go to the phones. The, the number to reach us here in Port St. Lucie is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the uh, number to reach us by phone, and we'll take your call as quickly as we can. Uh, we promise you that we're going to give you the last word, and we're not going to uh, argue or try to trap you or make fun of you or anything like that. The other ways you can reach the show this morning and during the week is through text numbers, 772-260-6120 or 772-260-6220. Those are two text numbers you can text during the show, and we'll do our best to answer, or you can um, text us during um, – you can text us during the week if you'd like to talk to us then. Okay, so we have a phone call this morning already. Uh, uh, are you there, Ken? Oh, my, I'm here. What's on your mind? Uh, I've got a couple of things, um, both related to Passover. Which was last week, is that correct? For me? That was last week, right? In the Jewish world, Passover oh, okay. was? No, it's next week. It's coming up this week. Okay. Oh, that's right. It's coming up this week. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I, I don't keep a good uh, liturgical calendar since, well, it's a long story. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Ken. It's okay. coming so, up this week. The first thing, the first thing is, why is it impossible, according to the scripture, for Good Friday to be the day that Christ is crucified? Okay, so. His crucifixion could not be on Friday. Yeah. That's what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. All right. What else? You want to talk about that first? You want to give me the other point? Yeah, we'll talk about that first. Okay. Tell me why you think that. Okay. Uh, Matthew 1240. Go to and read what it says about Jonah. The three day, uh, three days and three nights. Three days and three nights. It's not three days and three nights between Friday and Sunday noon. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that's a very common 
historical objection to the way it's generally generally viewed um, that Christ was crucified on what we call Friday. The, some of the problem. Now, let me say this, and I'm not responding really to what to your point here, Ken. I'm just kind of talking to the audience in general. Some of the problem in looking at this is oftentimes a distinction is not made between the way the Jews counted days and time, and it's not between and, and between the Romans how they counted time by days and when their day started. The other problem is that ancient cultures were not as explicit or exact about timekeeping as we are today, even for days and weeks and things like that. It wasn't quite as explicit uh, about it, although we find cases where they say it happened on the third hour or the ninth hour. Of course, you still got to know what Jewish time was being discussed there, what, what system was being used. But in any event, those are two general things that go on in this discussion that can cause problems. So anyway, what you want me to read that? Uh, Jesus is speaking about the sign that's going to be given to this evil and adulterous generation. But he answered and said in verse 39, Matthew 12, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay. Yeah. So okay. you're gonna you're counting okay. back from early on the first day of the week when we know from John twenty that Mary Magdalene saw that the tomb was empty and met the Lord on it said early as the first day of the week was dawning, I believe it John says in John twenty. Right. And you go backward then, that would be uh, go ahead. That is the feast of first fruits. Yeah, that's the first fruits, Easter. not only literally, but I mean that's well, the marking of the feast. Call Easter, so that would be one end of the three days and three nights, I guess is what you would say. That would be one terminus of that. That's the day he was resurrected. Right, that's the resurrection. And so that only counts in your estimation, I would guess, as a day. And then you have the preceding night, which is what we would call, what, Saturday night? And then you have, that's one day and one night. I'm sorry, I can't, I, I could, I can't, I you must have been talking yeah. and I couldn't hear you. Go ahead. Let me explain this, because this, this year, Passover occurs on the same day when Jesus celebrated Passover, or, 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 or the last supper. The same day? You mean the same day of the uh, week? I always do that because of, the soul, because of the lunar calendar. Are you saying it happens on the same day of the week? Is that the day you mean? Yes, yes. Passover, okay, same day of the week, all right. Passover starts on Wednesday night. Remember, the Jewish day go from night to morning, or night to the next night, not morning. It doesn't start in the morning, it starts at night. Right. So Wednesday night, Passover started. Okay? Jesus, before that, Jesus told the disciples to go and prepare for the Passover. And then he celebrated it Wednesday night with the disciples. The Passover lambs were uh, sacrificed the next morning, like 9 o'clock. And that was still Passover, first day. By that night, Jesus was in the grave. So he's in the grave Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. He's in the grave Saturday morning. I mean, Friday morning, Saturday morning, and Sunday morning, and then he rose from the dead. Three days, three nights. So you're, you're, 
are considering Sunday about dawn when she got there and he was already gone, that that's part of the day. Yes. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Daybreak. It says that she came as the day as the day. Now you got to remember, even in a Jewish time, uh, word, wording of everything, the word day is used two different meanings at least. Well, it's used like three different ways or four in the book of Genesis, but the two meanings that are at play in this discussion are a day of like Thursday, 24-hour period, and then the day, meaning the daylight period of a day. Those are the two basic meanings you have interchanging here, which sometimes causes a great deal of confusion in people's minds. So you can call Friday a day, and sometimes you're including just the daylight hours, and sometimes you're including the day and the night as a whole day. Depends on how it's being used and so forth. So that sun, what we would call Sunday, the Jews would never call it Sunday. Uh, the Bible never calls it Sunday. The time after the first day of the week was dawning, which would have been um, the daylight period of the first day of the week. was what we call Sunday morning. So when did the first day of the week start according to the Jews? I think it would start at sundown, what we would call Saturday night would be the beginning of the first day of the week, according to the Jews. Think that's correct? Uh, I, I, I lost him. Well, lost me. Okay. Say that again. When, when, according to your understanding, would the first day of the week? That's the expression used in the Bible, Mia Sabbatayon first of the weeks or first day after literally first day after the sabbath sunday that that's what we call sunday when did that start according to the jews oh probably saturday night it comes out at, it co starts at generally let's say six o'clock saturday night yeah. that's the beginning of their first day so what we're calling saturday night is called the first day of the week, according to the Jews. If now then in other parts of the Roman Empire, they weren't keeping days in this fashion. They were they were keeping days based on sunrise, not sunset. And so it would be it would be a little bit different when you come to like Acts 20, verse seven, perhaps. So when it says on the first day of the week, as the as day dawned or whatever the expression would be there, uh, it depends on your translation. Let me just look it up. Keep referring to that. I might as well look it up because I've got two or three translations in my head. Now, on the now the first day of the week, Mary went to the term uh, went to the tomb early, while it was still dark. Saw that the stone had been taken away, so uh, she went to the tomb at dark on the first day of the week. In John twenty. So that would be what we would call Sunday morning before sunrise, because we're starting our day at midnight. Sun doesn't come up till six in the morning, let's just roughly say. So it was still dark when she was getting there. Other, very, other passages seem to indicate that it was, um, they seem to indicate that it was barely daylight or Day was dawning, that kind of thing. Is that what your understanding is, Ken? Yeah, and uh, let me let me mention one other thing here. Okay. The definition of the feast of first fruits is the morrow after the first Sabbath after Passover. So the first Sabbath after Passover is Saturday. And the morrow, or the next day, is Sunday. Okay. And and so the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the Passover all kind of intersect right here. Is that correct? Yes. Originally, first, originally, Unleavened Bread and Passover were separate, but then they were combined. And that's what I was going to say. There's a little bit more confusion on this also. Because oftentimes when the Bible refers to the Passover, 
speaking of that one day feast where the lamb is sacrificed and eaten and so forth and um, where originally the Jews were in their homes and the, uh, uh, the blood over the doorpost, that custom wasn't kept later on. But then sometimes the word Passover is used to mean the seven-day feast of unleavened bread, which would uh, oftentimes precede the Passover week. Is that correct? And then yeah, it's actually eight days, though. Eight days. until it, And, and, yet, and sometimes, though, because of the day of the month it's set on, the actual Passover feast moves during that week. So it can be a Wednesday, Thursday, or a Friday in our t- calendar depending on the year. And you're saying in the year that Jesus was crucified, apparently that this would have fallen on what we would call a Wednesday. By the way, the other verse that I'm referring to is Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, that timing period, that time period, to me, and I am, uh, haven't checked this with a variety of scholars, of which I am not, but that seems to be, since it's written by Matthew, more Roman time. At the fir- it's possible that the first day of the week was beginning to dawn. That's how we would say it, that it was, the, you know, uh, in some ways. Or it could be just like we would say that the, it, the day may have started at midnight, but it was daylight you know, becoming daylight. The Jews, to the Jews, the first day of the week would have started the the previous evening, but there would be no day of the week until the sun came up the next morning. So that's what Matthew said. I don't think those two accounts, Matthew and John, are in conflict. I think they're both saying it was dark and it was light at the same time and the day was dawning and other ones said, well, it was dark depends on who you are and what you see to describe either one of those two events because there's no switch flipped to make it daylight and dark, you know, to process. Now, the the chip, so you're saying that the Passover occurred on Wednesday, what we would call Wednesday, and then he was, what's that, Wednesday night, and then by the by the next night, Thursday night, uh, G, that's when Jesus was taking keeping the supper, keeping no, the Passover peace. What's that's, that? That's why I'm pointing this out. Oh, that, you're saying that's when he would be crucified, not yeah. He would he would he was be crucified the, during the day Thursday. He would be in the tomb Thursday night. Thursday night. Is yes, I'm getting it saying? wrong. Yeah, I think he. Yeah. Okay. Now, now there's a couple of other possible, and, and this has been debated for centuries, Ken. And I appreciate you bringing this up. It's it's a rather complex subject, and, and strangely enough, it would seem simple. But uh, and one of the issues has to be: Well, did Jesus mean literally? You could count the days and nights, and that gets people confused because they often would count a part of a day as a whole day. Which you have to in this case, um, but okay. I, I don't necessarily. I, I asked you. I asked you. I mentioned before to you. Uh, why is the Last Supper not called Passover? Why is it called the Last Supper? Well, I'm not sure I that the Bible calls it the Last Supper. Celebrated but... it Wednesday, not Thursday. Yeah, yes. Um, it can't be both the sacrifice and then celebrate the sacrifice after the sacrifice is dead. A lot of people will tell you. Now, so the problem that I have with this whole thing, one of the problems I have with this whole thing, which I, I'm sure you have an explanation for, is that the historical accounts and so forth have the sacrifices being offered. And I think the law required them to be offered as the sun was going down, not in the morning. Uh, that throws me off on what you're saying. That That's something that throws me off because I'm pretty sure that the law, and I had to go, go look that up. I'm not sitting, I'm not where I can do that right at the moment. I'm looking at something else, but what's that? Uh, 
okay, uh, Christ had to be buried before before the uh, six o'clock. I think the he had to be buried before what? Before the before six. I know. Now, here's Gary's explanation for this. Let's just cut to the chase. <laughs> Gary's explanation is that there are two different times given for the keeping of the Passover. Yeah. One is the Passover in Exodus. The other is the Passover. Yeah. That Edersheim that, quotes that is what he calls the temple Passover. The temple Passover, which is historically, according to Edersheim, Alfred Edersheim, what was being kept at the time of Jesus. And those two are separated by day. So that the earlier Passovers in Jewish history were kept a day earlier by the before the temple was established. And so you would have Jesus eating the Passover meal, what we call the Last Supper. The Bible never calls it that, so I usually don't. But, but um, sometimes I do. But what we call the, the Last Passover... We have to, he asked him eating that earlier than many of the other Jews would have kept it so that he could be put to death um, at the same time that the other pa- the lambs were being offered. Temple Passover. And I can explain why, why, why that. Okay. Well, what do you think of that idea? Well, okay. Um, let me tell you what Josephus says about uh, the sacrifices during the time of Christ. Um, he said there was uh, 250,000 lambs sacrificed during that time. Now, he also says that there were three sets of priests and the most those three sets of priests could do in a day was 18,000. Now, let's go back to the original Passover. Now, in, in a day, you're talking uh, about the daylight. It was an individual family that sacrificed the land. It didn't go into a temple sacrifice until the king did that, specifically... Uh, Hezekiah and Josiah. So that's when the temple sacrifice started. So that Jesus' time, if you go by Josephus, there were both going on. There were temple sacrifices and there were still sacrifices by individual families. I'm, I'm trying to analyze what you're saying, and I don't think I'm getting the point that you're making, Ken. Um, well, that would, it, it seems like individuals would have been celebrating the Exodus Passover, and then the Temple Passover would still be what... Yeah, they would. That's it. They were, that was the biblical Passover. The kings changed it, mainly because they were... Uh, the, People weren't celebrating the Passover. Right. But is one of them a legitimate sacrifice and the other not? I suppose that depends on who you ask. I would say the individual Passover is what God commanded. He didn't command the temple sacrifice. He did not command the temple sacrifice. No, that was Jew, that's Jewish tradition. Yeah. So they were supposed to take that lamb themselves, and that's what I've understood. They keep the lamb for a week or whatever it was, and then they kill it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so forth. And then you realize that this lamb is dying for you. It's more personal. Right. And you've taken and you've taken care of it. Um, and so yeah. forth. Yeah. So. I, I guess there is the difference between those two, and, and that's an explanation a little bit as to why in the Bible you seem to have this conflict of the timing is because there were two different 
ways of keeping the feast that were present at the time of Christ. Now, yeah. uh, Gary's taught recently on this, and I think it probably has a lot of merit that that Jesus was going by the one timing, the individual timing, as you're calling it, the personal type thing, and that the temple stuff going on there in Jerusalem was the other. And that worked out because Jesus was able to keep the Passover with his disciples to show them that he wanted them to keep the Lord's Supper, not the Passover, at, and then still be crucified or sacrificed on the same day or at the right time. Right at the same day. Yeah. And then, yes, and then put in the ground uh, before the actual Passover meal began in Jerusalem that most of the people would have been keeping. So Jesus was apparently already buried. Now, the Jews called Friday what we call Friday during the day, the day of preparation. In fact, that's why it's capitalized in most of your Bibles. We'll talk about the preparation. It's because that was an idiom at, in Bible times for, for what we call Friday, for a day, the preparation. Of, for the Passover, they were busy normally. Saturday. What's that? It's preparation for the Saturday Sabbath. Right. So Friday, roughly yeah. speaking, was preparation. You had to do all your cooking on Friday. You had Saturday. to get everything ready. Right for Saturday. But now, in, in even today, among Orthodox Jews, Sabbath begins what we call Friday night at about six o'clock, approximately. So Passover runs from Friday night to Saturday night, not Passover. The Sabbath runs from Friday night to Saturday night. So Friday during the day, if, in our time, they're getting ready. That's the preparation. And that same thing was happening in Jerusalem on the week that Jesus was crucified. And so... Um, but, Mike, that still doesn't answer the three days and three nights. No, we haven't got there in, yet. In that. And, and all I can say is I don't remember. I'd have to go look this up. How are you interpreting? You know, we, do, we don't have a de description of, no, of, of uh, Jonah as being the way we measure generally by the clock, three days and three nights. If it's any part of a day or night is considered any part is considered a whole. Who stays then, then Noah could have been the same way. You mean Jonah? Jonah, pardon me. I'm go, sorry. go ahead, Ken. A, a Jewish day starts in the evening. Right. From Genesis one one, evening and morning is first day. Right. Well, so you're saying going backwards from Sunday because we know that day, so. It was daylight when Jesus was raised. That's Sunday morning. And then you have Saturday night was night. Okay, I'll do it on both hands. I'll do it on both hands here, Ken. <laughs> Sunday yeah. was one day. Saturday night was one night. Saturday day was one day. Uh, Friday night was one night. And then Friday during the day was one day. And has to be Thursday night he was buried. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So he was buried yeah. on Thursday night. Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night he was in the grave. Right. Friday morning, I'm sorry, uh, Friday morning, Saturday morning, and Sunday morning he was in the grave. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That's a day, that is a day um, off from the, the quote-unquote Holy Week. Now, Ken, I'll have to tell you something. There's a reason why, and I've looked into this several times over the years. Gary even did a real detailed study of this on Wednesday nights here uh, a couple of months ago when he was doing the book of John. But the reason why this doesn't really register with me as being a hot topic or a controversy is because I don't keep any of these days as yearly celebrations in any event okay so it's not a critical thing that when i'm celebrating good friday that to me to know that that's when jesus was in the grave or crucified because i don't think i know the day that he was crucified except that first except by what the bible says 
and I'm not celebrating it as a holiday. I keep the first day of the week because that's the day the New Testament says me to keep. I know when that happens, and I remember his resurrection every week because of that. So I guess in, from my background, this issue is never wrong as a real hot-button topic because I'm not concerned about what people call Easter or Good Friday or Fat Tuesday or you know Monday Thursday. I'm not concerned about those days because those are man-made holidays, not biblical holidays. So I believe that Jesus was crucified on a sab on a Passover at on a Passover. Now the only issue for me is was that a day earlier than they were sacrificing lambs in the temple, but, or was it at the same time? And apparently, from what I can tell, it was earlier than what they were sacrificing lambs at the temple. Well, I would, I would have to go back, Mike, and look, but I chose the one that was consistent, I think, with what John called the preparation day. That's Friday. That's Friday. What we call. Yeah. Ken, you were going to say something there. Uh, yeah. Uh, in reference to what I said before about how many sacrifices they were having then, they allowed the Levites to celebrate it early because they were so busy on Passover day. Right. Sacrificing the land. And there was even a place for them to keep it later if they were unclean for some reason. Yeah. Ceremony. Joseph, they kept it a month later. Probably people were allowed to celebrate you, which is basically what Jesus did. Celebrated it early. Because he had work to do on the, on the Sabbath day or on the... He had to the Passover land. The next morning. You see, here's the other thing that is interesting about this. If I had, uh, and I have to look up this uh, reference, but um, th there was such a thing as a high Sabbath. That goes back to the fact yeah, that. I, that's, yes, that's that's the uh, in this in this instance that's the piece the first fruit. Right. So a so Sabbath day. Day Friday they had to prepare for two days, not the usual one. In, in John 19, here's what it says. At, he, he died at John 19.30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. And then, therefore, because it was, quote, the capital P preparation day, that's fr Friday, or that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath, that would be the next day after that day, was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that the legs might be broken, and so they came and broke his legs. And he died. He, they found out he was already dead. Or they came and attempted to break his legs, wanted to, but he was already dead, and so they didn't break his legs. That's Mark, so 15, what, Mark 15, 42, and 43 also. Yeah, so you have this high Sabbath. That's where the Sabbath day and a day like the Passover coincide with one another. So every uh, every every Passover was considered a Sabbath day because the word Sabbath means rest, not seventh. It means rest. And so they had day, double day of rest, as it were. At least that's how I've understood this problem. This this I've never really thought about the problem of what does that what that does to Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and so forth, because I don't worry about those days. What did, what's your take on that high Sabbath thing then, as far as the day? Uh, the, the Feast of First Fruits is a high Sabbath day. Yeah, because it, it the Feast of First Fruits is going to always occur on a Sabbath day. No, 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 no. Oh, no, the day after the Sabbath. Day. Day. The day after. Have to be the day after the Sabbath. Sunday yeah. after the the Sabbath. Right. So it's a. That's the start of the count for becomes a start of another day. So, um, so this is the uh, piecing these two things together. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this with some of the the listeners. This is probably very poor radio and very confusing to people, but uh, <laughs> hopefully not too badly. Maybe it'll stir you to think about these things. There's another reason for me to get to this, Gary, as to why this issue is important. But uh, I I would. Remind the readers when they read these to keep in mind whether the author seems to be using Jewish time or Roman time. 
when they talk about what day it is and daylight and dark. And that's true for the re- almost the whole New Testament. And and then secondly, the difference between the, the, the some of these festivals that were established in the Old Testament on certain days. By the time of Christ, they had been moved a day or two for various reasons historically. And that's part of the confusion then that comes. So you find the Jews doing all kinds of things in preparation for this day, which were not listed. Well, there's even a biblical difference between the Sabbath that was kept in Moses' day and the Sabbath that was kept once they got into the land under Joshua. I'm not Sabbath. The uh, Passovers. Those two Passovers were different from each other. God says they should be different from each other. And we're going to, when we do our Passover demonstration here next month, I'll talk about that. By the way, Ken, I don't know if you heard, uh, we're planning a Passover demonstration next, um, May 12th at the Palm City Community Center. Me and Gary are kind of doing this. And I'm going to, huh? May 12th. May, May 12th. I had to move the date. I don't know if I've announced it earlier in other other forums, but I had to move the date to the 12th at 530 in the evening. We're going to go through uh, the whole Passover meal and as a Seder and as a meal and go through what they did at the time of Moses, what they did at the time of Joshua, what was going on at the time of Jesus as far as the traditions. We're going to have the lamb, the bitter herbs and all that stuff you see and and go through this and then try to show the connection and the disconnection with the Lord's Supper or the communion that Paul that Jesus instituted at at his final Passover there the Last Supper it, uh, because I don't believe that the Lord's Supper is the Passover it happened it was established on the Passover but isn't the Passover you're getting into my second question. Okay, well, let me just say, if anybody in the audience would like to do that, I, uh, if you'll text me or email me, I will be glad to send you an invitation to that, so you have so you have the details. But uh, so text me at seven seven two two six zero six one two zero seven seven two. Please text us soon. Yeah, I like to know as soon as I can because I've got to make a lot of preparation for this. If we, if we have a lot of people, we may have to change the venue. So when the Jews were talking about how much preparation there was for the Passover and for that, yeah, I, I can tell you from having done this several times, they are correct, especially if you keep some of the Jewish traditions. What's your second? What's your second question? I've got another caller on the line, but what's your second question? Okay. All right. You remember the, I think it was Wendy had the ad, Where's the Beef? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Remember that? Okay, so yep. my question is, where's the lamb? Because since 70 AD, there's been no sacrifice in the temple and no lamb, and during the Passover Seder, they don't have lamb. No, they have a dried bone a lot of times, or nothing. Yeah, like. they don't have lamb. And there's actually a Jewish law that forbids it. Well, because they don't have a temple to sacrifice it in. Yeah, exactly. In honor of the no temple, they don't. They will have, tell you some of the one, more. There is one place that is still having sacrifices of lambs. You know where it is? No. You might be surprised. Samaria. Oh, the Samaritans! Uh, I would never have thought of that. Yeah. Samaritans it's, sacrifice a lamb. They're doing it on Mount Gerizim. I did not know that. You know, now that you say this, maybe something is coming back But uh, to, to my brain. But I forgot about it. Mount Gerizim, they sacrifice a lamb. When I've read that a lot of the Jewish rabbis will tell their people that we don't use anything but a dried bone, no meat on it, a dried bone on the plate because the hope of the Messiah has dried up. So they know that the lamb represents the Messiah, and the hope hope has dried up. I read the other day that you can even put a picture of a piece of lamb on a plate if you don't have lamb or don't want to spend the money for it. I tell you what, from the price of lamb at BJ's the other day, and from what I saw, I can see why people want to use a picture if they don't like to eat the lamb because it's expensive. But um, I forgot about those Samaritans. Interesting. 
Um, there, there's so much messianic imagery in the Passover. And one of the things that I think you and I talked about this before on the radio, Ken, and, and maybe even um, another setting, is that a lot of the Jewish customs that have developed since Christ are unwittingly messianic prophecies, as it were, or they're actually connected to the Messiah. They they honor him without even realizing that they're doing it in their in their customs. Well, you you got to remember the Messiah had to fulfill all the all the law. Right. That means all the law concerning the Passover. He had to be killed when the lambs were killed. Right. And he had to he had to be the same kind of a sacrifice and all that. Well, I really appreciate your phone call, Ken. I know it's probably a little complex for a, a people to dissect on the radio, but uh, there's a lot to hear to think about. You almost, you almost have to have a diagram to look yeah. at it to see. As a matter of fact, that's what I did with it. But it still doesn't resolve the full three days and full three nights. And I well, you're not going to get full three days and, and three nights. And you're not going to get that. It was never probably intended to be that. Yeah. Um, Particularly... When you incorporate what John said about the preparation day, right? Because there's another Matthew 27:62 through 64, basically describing what the Pharisees were doing and requesting Pilate to secure the tomb. That all occurred on the day after the preparation right. day. All right. Well, Ken, we better run to another phone call. I appreciate very much your calling. Thank you very much. We'll talk with you soon. Okay. Call back. All right, Jerry, are you there? Hi, good morning, Gary. I was wondering about uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, is that the only time where the tree of knowledge is mentioned? And uh, and that's about it. I, I'd like to listen on our fair, if that'd be okay. You have a particular question about the tree of knowledge, or just the tree where... of knowledge in the book of Genesis? And am I to understand that the book of Genesis is all about creation, uh, creation, and um, just basically asking, is that the only uh, time in all the books of the Bible that they mention the tree of knowledge? And I'd like to listen to Pharaoh, Mike, if that would be okay. fine, Jerry. I appreciate it. Now, there is a um, – the book of Gen- – let's start back with just one step from your question, Jerry. The, the, book of, the book of Genesis, the Latin word that Genesis comes from means beginning – or beginnings, and so that they took the name of these manuscripts sometimes from a phrase in the beginning of the book, like the book, like in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and so that's where it got, that's where it got its name. And it, the book of Genesis is about the beginning of the things that have made human history what it is. It is the beginning of of God's of man's creation of the world as we know it beginning of sin, the beginning of a plan of redemption, uh, the beginning, and that, and then that flows into the beginning of a promise that God made to Abraham, the beginning of a promise of uh, making it, him a great nation, which would bring the Messiah. So it's the beginning of all of these things is told in the book of Genesis. It's probably my favorite book of the Bible, one of my favorite books of the Bible after Job and Ecclesiastes. But it, it's a it's a tremendously important book for that reason. Now, as far as I can tell, I think you are correct that the only place in the Bible that is referred to this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is here in uh, is here in the book of Genesis, where God refers to that. It's not even like you see the tree of life is mentioned in two or three places. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is found in um, Genesis two nine and Genesis two seventeen. Right. That's the only only two I've references, got. and that's in two translations. That's in the New King James and the American Standard. Right. So out of the, I don't know what the other ones say. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree to grow that's pleasant to the sight. Genesis two nine and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it isn't the tree of knowledge. It isn't the tree of good and evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in um, a little bit past that, um, in verse, uh, I can't 
find the verse here. It's 217. Uh, 17. I wasn't going back far enough. Uh, 217, it says, he told them, he told man, verse 16, uh, every tree of, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. Now that's, the, the, he even, later on in this book, he refers to the tree of which I commanded you not to, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to touch it? And and then you have this reference uh, in Genesis chapter uh, three. Satan says, has God indeed said in Genesis three, one, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That's to eat. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is the middle of the garden, he has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So she's just referring it to it as the tree in the middle of the garden. Now, I'm going to read a lot into this passage, Jerry. I'm going to read that this tree was in the middle of the garden, not on the edge somewhere. It says that and that it was kind of set apart. It was set out so that she couldn't miss it because later, as soon as she gets done talking to Satan, almost she goes there right to it and looks at it and takes the fruit, you see. And so she's looking at this tree very carefully. So they knew the tree. It was in the middle of the garden, maybe set apart so that it could not be missed. And God said, don't eat it. Now, Eve added something to it, I think. At least if you take the text as it is, God never said she couldn't touch it. God said, don't eat of the fruit of this tree, of this tree. Literally, don't eat of this tree, of the fruit of this tree. She added the phrase, nor touch it, which is very typical of humans. Take something God says, we think about it, and then we add what we want to to it or take away what we want to from it. It's kind of common, isn't it? But that's what people do. Or we try to guard it. In which, you know, that, I, she may have had a good motive. I don't even well, want to touch it. If I can't eat it, I don't even want to touch it. Yeah, if I don't touch it, I won't, won't eat, eat it. it. So, you know, and, and you can go backwards. But see, once you start saying that God said don't touch it, that's different than saying I'm not going to touch it. You can say God said don't eat it, so I'm not even going to touch it. That's that's OK. Well, it's kind of like but to say the, God said, don't to touch it. Don't touch it. You're adding to what God said. Well, it's kind of like what the scribes and Pharisees were trying to do with the law. They were exactly. building a hedge around it. And therefore, they figured out ways that they could break it because <laughs> their traditions be, then became more important than the word. Now, the, po the point of this is the question is asked and Jerry didn't ask this, but I'll ask it. So what is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yes, as far as I know. It's the only place that it's mentioned as the tree of knowledge of good and evil per se. It's mentioned in Genesis 3 as the tree. It's mentioned in, uh, uh, referred to in 1 Timothy 2 um, that the woman sinned. When she sinned, she fell into transgression was because she was deceived. No tree is mentioned, but the deception of, Deception the woman experienced is mentioned. Is around the tree. What well, had had to do with the tree? Had that's right. But it doesn't say the word tree in First Timothy. But that's a reference to this incident here. Now, uh, people have speculated all for years, centuries, millennia, maybe what this is, what kind of tree it is. Uh, I don't think it matters. Per, I've come to the conclusion I don't think it matters. So I'm going to give you my my speculation on this. You can decide what you want to. The text does not tell us what it was. It, I don't think it was an apple tree. If it was an Eve ate of the apple, you'll see this. Even Apple computer, on the back of my computer here is a little logo with a bite out of it. You know, Is that a reference to uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, I don't think Steve Jobs believed in any of that. So it's hard for me to imagine that it's that. But anyway, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple tree. So for you to say Eve ate the apple is biblically incorrect, and I wish you wouldn't say it because it's simply not what the Bible says. Speak as the Bible speaks. That's a good motto to have about Bible things. Give Bible things Bible names, as we've talked about before. 
So the Bible does not call it an apple. The Bible simply calls it a tree with fruit. So we can speculate what kind of fruit it was. Is there some kind of special uh, tree that gives man insight and knowledge and wisdom? I know that you, if you eat a lot of kale, you're supposed to be smarter than everybody else, right? And you know, all these kind of, there's always these magic herbs, but I don't think that's what's going on here. I think that the tree became the tree of knowledge, good and evil, simply because God said, don't touch it. I mean, don't eat it. Once God said, don't eat it, and you can eat everything else, you have a choice, here's your choice. You can choose all these other fruits, but don't choose this one to eat. Once he said that, it became a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because right there's the choice. By its very existence, it becomes a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so people decide once that happens, this is what Satan does to us. Focuses on the thing that we can't have and makes us really want that thing more than the other stuff. There's also something else interesting here that I've just noticed. There was another tree mentioned, the tree of life. I was going to contrast those two, but go ahead. Uh, Well, the tree of life is mentioned in Genesis. It's mentioned in Proverbs allegorically as things that, you know, give you life. And then it's mentioned again as a tree book of, of Revelation. The book of Revelation. So it's in the beginning, it's in the end. And the end. And that's what I don't find the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the book of Revelation. Right, right. That's it's the point there. I was making. Yeah. The tree of life, that's the next one I was going to make. The tree of life is found in both places. So the, the argument that would go against what I just said, I'll give you the other side of this. I think that makes sense to me. Does it, is, can I say the Bible says that per se? No, but I think that's what makes sense. But the thing that goes against that is the tree of knowledge. Is that a special fruit that they ate that kept them alive? Well, it almost appears like like that because they were removed from the tree of the life. They were forbidden. They, they, God put a sword, an angel with a sword at the gates of the Garden of Eden and threw them out where they couldn't right. get to the tree of life and took the tree of life away, apparently. And then we find in the book of Revelation, man's salvation is that he, there he is. He can eat of the tree of life again. It's there in heaven with him, and so he lives forever. So was there something special about that fruit? Um, I, I don't know. There must have been. Well, the way it, it gave fruit all year yeah. long, apparently, and all kind of other things. Well, about the way it. it's described in Genesis, he says, least man reach out and live forever by taking that fruit of the tree. Yeah, of so he, if he keeps on eating this. Yeah, if he keeps on eating this. He's going to live forever. And, and, and so that since those two trees seem to be the true that are picked out, are they alike in that there's some kind of special quality to the fruit? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, and since I don't know what the tree of knowledge of good and evil is, and God doesn't tell me, I think what I say works for people because man's inclination is to do what he wants to do. It's to do his desire. And that's what Satan capitalized on. He didn't come to her and say, wow, isn't it great? God gave you all these trees, all this stuff to eat, and and he only forbids you one. That's great, isn't it? You should be thankful. He didn't go that route with her, did he? He said, no, he, he got her mind focused on the one thing she couldn't have. I had a tooth pulled last week. It cracked open on me, Gary, an old tooth from fillings when I was probably seven years old, cracked open. And uh, I told the dentist that pulled it and his assistant, I said, you know, that tooth has been in good service longer than both of you together have been alive. <laughs> Poor tooth. Anyway, you know what? My, you know where my tongue has been fo- focusing on the last few days? Where that on tooth that, is missing. The hole where the one. I got all these other teeth, but it's focused on the one where the hole is. And so that's human nature. And so God, Satan got, got man to think about, got Eve to think about that one tree. And, and if you go back and read this story, um, it's almost like she went over there to it. it it's, she says it's in the middle of the garden. And that tells me something, if I'm really going to infer from this, that she and Satan were not standing next to the tree when it happened. You see, you see the pictures drawn of the tree of life, and here's Satan curling as a snake curled up in the tree of life tempting eve to eat the fruit i don't think that's accurate she refers to it as the tree in the middle of the garden she's not there it's over there somewhere 
But then the next verse, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate, and then both their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So she went, as soon as he mentioned this, her tongue sought out the missing tooth, and she went over there and found that tree and began to look at it. She looked at it a little closer now. God said, don't mess with it. She went over there, now I'm going to take a good look at this, and she saw that Satan was correct. You can eat this fruit. It smelled delicious. The leaves were beautiful. She could cut the leaves and make decorations for their house. You know, and and if she ate it, she would be wise. She'd be smart. She'd be a god. Satan said it'll make you like a god. And I think that's part of the that's part that, of it. She could be god. Part of the temptation that man has always wanted to be like God, and that he does what he wants to do and controls everything. Satan and Satan tells her very clearly: you will be as God or like God or gods, some versions, knowing good and evil. Yes. But see, the trouble with that is that's only a half truth again. Like you shall not die. That's a half truth. They, God does know good and evil, but he doesn't know good and evil like she would end up knowing good and evil. She would know good and evil because she would commit evil. She would know, First-hand know it internally. Internally, God does not know evil except he knows of evil. He understands what evil is and he he rejects it. She would know it because she would become evil. So he told her a half-truth again. This story is rich with understanding about human nature and human history. And, and uh, it tells us what our problem, problem is, is we want to be a god. Yet when we become a god, we really don't know how to be a god because we're not gods. The so we end up doing a lot of wicked yeah. things. To the be allegorical god. usage in Proverbs is probably pretty... We don't have time to go through it here, but it's probably pretty revealing about what God desires of us uh, for taking of these uh, characteristics, if we would, that's revealed in Proverbs is probably uh, a reflection of what that tree of life does for us. Do you have that verse there, Gary? Are you looking at it? Well, I'm, I'm looking at about four different verses, four or five different verses in Proverbs, and it's used allegorically. It's really um, used of wisdom, isn't it? Yes, yeah, used of wisdom primarily, yes. but then it's it's used in other respects to talking about desire and things like that. A whole, for instance, one of them, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Okay, uh, and what does it mean by a wholesome tongue? Well, it means an honest and straightforward and, and correct tongue. Jesus then says in another place, you know. For every idle word you speak, you're going to get, uh, be called in judgment for. So all, all of these things kind of, I think, fit together. But there's probably some value in looking at the Proverbs uses of the tree of life. Yes, and, and, and uh, that's true. So I think it's an interesting question. I thought about this before. Maybe I haven't formulated it exactly like Jerry did, but... Uh, that the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is just not mentioned again. The truth is, it's apparent that we live in that world of knowledge of good and evil. That's the reason we have problems we have in well, the, the world today. The, we live the, in a place that's like, broken. It's like so many other things. It's it's something that's so important that's never mentioned again, yet it is the the whole rest of the Bible is a result of this. Right. It, it, it had an impact all on all history up up through today, and still, and still is. The interesting thing, the other thing he brings up is probably a side point, Gary, based on what you said there. And we only got to, well, we got to stop. We got about, well, we got about thirty seconds, I guess. I can keep minute talking. I got a minute and a half. All right, uh, yeah, I got a little. I'm set my watch a little bit too fast, but the. Uh, uh, well, it's kind of like, like the Book of Esther. God is never mentioned directly in the Book of Esther yet. The whole book of Esther revolves around what God does in his providence. And, exactly. And it's the same kind of thing. Exactly. Well, let me uh, wrap this up. We thoroughly appreciate you being with us today on We Are Just Christians. We appreciate the calls and the texts we got. We thank you for that. Hope that you will um, hope that you will come back and be with us next week. Hope that you'll take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com, wearejustchristians.com. And come and visit us at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard 
at our meeting place. We meet at 10 this morning for Bible classes, 11 for worship, and 7.30 on Wednesday night for Bible classes again. We'd love to have you. We're not going to ask you for money. Come and see. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL, Port St. Lucie.